Good morning, everybody. Happy Friday. This is the Dr. Football Podcast. I'm Dr. Dennis Tian at NFL Football Doc on Twitter. It's Friday morning. We have a whole weekend of NFL games to look at coming up ahead. And we have last night's game in New England to look back at. You know, I never have ever watched the highlights of Super Bowl 42. I just... I think as far as sports losses go, that has to be one of the most painful losses in the history of professional sports if you're a Patriots fan. I mean, you're never, ever going to go 18-0 again and to have it all lined up for you like that and to take a lead and really just squander opportunities away throughout the whole game and get the lead at the end of the game and and then to watch it drift away on a fluky play like the helmet catch, dropped the deception on the last drive. It's 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 just that was that was gut wrenching. So I've never ever watched those highlights for 11 years now. I've avoided them. But with the Patriots and the Giants playing this week, they did make their rounds on social media, and I did watch one of those highlight packages, like a 10 minute kind of extended highlight package that was was put out on Facebook. And maybe it's just something when the Patriots play the Giants, just something in the air, something in the universe. But the game last night in some ways resembled, because in that Super Bowl 42, the Giants' defensive line was relentless to Tom Brady, just relentless. And the Patriots, watching back, looking back at that game, the Patriots deserve to lose that game because you can't play that poorly on the offensive line and expect to win many games in the NFL. And and the Patriots offensive line was literally on its heels. Brady was Brady was hardly able to throw the ball. They were manhandled. They were dominated. And that's and that's why the Giants deserved to win that game. And that's why the Giants did win that game. And if you really think about it, you could see it coming coming down the stretch in 2007 because there were a couple games where Patriots didn't look so good on their offensive line. Patriots weren't scoring late in the year at quite the clip they scored at earlier in the year. You know, I I went that year to a Monday night game in Baltimore that the Patriots were very, very lucky to win. And they really shouldn't have won. And the Ravens put the Patriots offense and Brady on their heels. It was choppy all night. But it's hard to win football games when you can't block. And last night with the Patriots and the Giants, you really saw a lot of the same. This Patriots offense is a big problem. It's a big problem. I don't know if they're going to be able to figure this out. And this team is going to go 13-3. and They're going to go 14-2. and I mean, they really only have... So many games on their schedule left that are even losable games. Their schedule does get tougher. I think they caught a little bit of a, I don't want to say a bad break, but I mean, this Jets game this week coming up for them, because that's where the Patriots go next. They go to New York to play the Jets. That was going to be another preseason game. And I think now with Darnold's in there and he's healthy, that's a very losable game. So we got to watch and see what Sam Darnold looks like this week, because if Darnold is is Sam Darnold, the regular Sam Darnold, 
then I think that that's a losable game. Now, the Patriots should win that game. But the way this offensive is playing, I think makes almost any game a losable game, to be honest with you. I mean, this offense is is just not that good right now. And I'm not sure if it's going to be. I'm out there, and I'm watching last night, and I'm watching Tom Brady last night, and I'm looking at who's out there on the field. Ryan Izzo is probably one of the worst tight ends in the NFL. Gunnar Olszewski, I like the player, undrafted player, certainly not a proven NFL receiver. Jacoby Meyer, undrafted player. Jacob Jones is the fullback. He's not going to catch many passes. Edelman has bruised ribs and hurt, is hurt. Gordon is hurt, and now he may be out for a little while, but he was riding the bike, so maybe that's not too serious. I mean, who's out there? Nobody is out there. No one. They have literally nothing. Look at their offensive line. They got two or three linemen out there that were plucked off the scrap heap, okay, playing tackle for them. Backup center. I'm not sure if the cavalry is coming. I'm really not. They cannot run the ball. They cannot pass the ball consistently. They they had one drive last night. One sustained drive. They scored 35 points because their defense was insane. Because their special teams is great. They had one 75-yard drive last night. Every other one of those scores came off a turnover, either directly or indirectly. The drive before the half was the only sustained drive that defense had. I think every Patriots fan should be a little bit concerned about what they're seeing from this team because it's not pretty on offense. The running game is atrocious, and Sony Michelle is regressing. And you know, we talk about 2007. We saw a guy, Lawrence Maroney, around that time, 2006 to 2007, who came in and looked like he was going to be a pretty darn good back. And then he just kind of regressed and fell off the map. And as I'm watching Sony Michelle last night, I'm thinking the same thing. This guy is regressing. He's forcing it out there. And I think he got a little psyched out because the run blocking is terrible. And this guy is trying to make things happen that aren't there. He's trying to force it. I see him hesitating. I see him slowing down. There was one play where in the second half, I think it was in the third or fourth quarter, where there was a carry where he had like a three or four yard gain, easy gain up the middle. And instead of taking, he tried to cut outside and he got in a foot race with a safety and he lost and ended up being no gain. I see a lot of plays where he's kind of tapped in of the line, trying to hesitate to find that hole to see where he can go. And he's wasting the valuable seconds, and he's getting nothing. What does it say about Patriots running game and Sony Michelle that they were in how many short yardage situations last night? And and Brady could quarterback sneak two touchdowns in the end zone. Brandon Bolden got a carry twice from inside the five or inside the two. Sony Michelle didn't get any of those carries. What does that tell you? But what's going on with Sony Michelle? 
because I know their pass run blocking is poor. I mean, we all know that. That's that's a huge issue. But even still, even still, when other guys are running the ball, when Rex Burkhead's running the ball, when Brandon Bolden's running the ball, they're getting a little more movement. Is that because Michelle is just not running well? Is that schematic? Is that because teams know when Michelle's in there, they're probably running the ball? I think it's debatable, but those are two things you have to consider right now. But they got major problems on offense. They got major problems on offense right now. And I don't think that... I don't know if they're going to be... I mean, they're def, this team, I can tell you for sure, they're 6-0. and They're not that good. They've played a very soft schedule. And I'm a huge Patriots fan, but I have to admit that this is the easiest path to 6-0 in NFL history. I think that's a statistical fact. I don't think that's even hyperbolic. I think that's actually a fact. The combined record of the teams they've played is the worst of any team that's gone undefeated this far. They've played five, four or five of the statistically worst quarterbacks in the league. Luke Falk, Josh Rosen, Colt McCoy, all these guys at the bottom of the league. They played all these guys. Just aren't that good. And they look great. And they look great. And they're a great defense. I don't want to ever give the impression that I'm not on board with this being a tremendous defense because they are a great defense. And you can't play like this against NFL competition unless you're a great defense. I don't care who you're playing. I don't care who you're playing. But that said, are they going to go like, you know, 10 of 70 on third downs for the rest of the year? Are they going to force two or three turnovers a game for the rest of the year? Are they going to get special teams touchdowns, you know, with regularity for the rest of the year? Of course not. That's not sustainable, no matter how great your defense is. That's a combination of a great defense playing bad teams. But when you play Kansas City and Houston and in Philadelphia and Dallas and Baltimore, you might get a turnover too. You're not going to continue to have this kind of production that they've got from defense. It's just not how – it's just not sustainable. So you're going to need to score some points on offense. And they just don't have the horses right now to do it. And, and, and Tom Brady is the least of this team's problems. He missed a couple throws last night. He still somehow threw for over 300 yards. He completed 15 in a row at one point. That's a miracle. That's a miracle when you consider who he was out there with. What's the salvation for this team? What's the path out of it? Well, first and foremost, they got to fix the offensive line. And they got to hope Isaiah Wayne can come back and, and actually stay healthy because he's looking like a bust right now. He's looking like a blown pick. How many excuses, how many injuries can a guy have before you say there's something to the fact he can't physically sustain on an NFL field? We've seen guys like that before. It happens all the time. Isaiah Wynn is probably one of those guys. But you need him to come back and to bring stability to the line. And then you need the skill position player. You need Edelman to get healthy because that's a big thing right now. Edelman's not healthy. That takes something away from Brady. You need Nikhil Harry to come back and, and be a solid target. You need to trade for someone. You need to bring in a wide receiver. You can't go – you need a veteran guy. 
that you can count on. It, it, it probably doesn't have to be Antonio Brown. It probably doesn't have to be Antonio Brown. And we know he's not coming back. Let's just dispel that fantasy that Antonio Brown is going to come back. That's not going to happen. Should it happen? Yeah. Should they have caught him? Probably not. I mean, now that it's been a few weeks since all that happened and went down, it was a little reactionary, wasn't it? And I know why they did it, but, I mean, Antonio Brown is is is, an ex, is not a great person. We all know that. But the guy's not Pol Pot either, okay? It's not like he's murdering kids. He got involved with a woman. She has her side of the story. He has his. He wasn't charged with anything criminally. She sued him. And it's going to play out in court. He acted like a dope in the messages he sent to that girl. But she has her side of the story. He has his. He's kind of a moron. But if you'd weather the storm and just let things die down, no one would even be talking about that right now. No one would be talking about it. And you'd still have Antonio Brown. I don't support what the guy's done or the way he conducts himself. I mean, he's a clown, but this is a business, this is a, and the business is winning football games. And if the guy hasn't been charged with a crime, you know, maybe it's justifiable to keep him around if he's a great player. And he hasn't been charged with a crime. I don't know what's going on in my plumber's life. I don't know what's going on in my electrician's life. Come in, they do a job. We sign a contract, they do work in my house, they complete the work timely and appropriately and effectively, and I pay them. And I'm not looking at what they're doing. You know, I was the medical director for the Boston Fire Department for four and a half years. You know what some of those guys got into? Some of the things that happened in that building with those guys? And those guys don't get fired unless they really, really, really drop the ball. Multiple, multiple times. But you know what some of those guys did and got into and they kept their jobs? And those are our firefighters. Those are our heroes. And we look at those guys like heroes. And rightfully so, because they are heroes. But let's just cool it on the self-righteous moralizing about our football players. These are football players. If a guy goes over and runs someone over with his car... He's charged with manslaughter because he's driving 120 miles an hour. That's different. That's different. If a guy goes out and gets charged with rape or sexual assault, that's different. If a guy gets sued and sends a few stupid text messages, you know, and he's a great player. I mean, really? Do you get rid of that guy for that? Because why? Because what they're saying on TMZ and what they're saying on the Boston Globe Anyone even listen to that stuff anymore? People tune that stuff out within days or weeks. But he would have made a huge difference on the field for this team. The guy has been in the NFL for like, what, seven, eight years now. I don't think he's a terrible person. I think he's, I think he's kind of a fool. I think he's kind of a moron. Or, I mean, he certainly has a lousy attitude. Got to play football. It's a football team. If he comes in and he buys into the system, buys into your way of doing things on and off the field, while he's here in your locker room, keep him. Give him a chance. 
Instead, what do you do? You sign the guy. You know exactly what you're buying. You're buying it. You're buying an eccentric guy who's not all there, but can play football. And you knew what you were getting. What do you do? You get rid of him. You cut him. A week and a half later, you didn't even give him a chance to buy into your program. And he made a mistake. It was stupid what he did. He shouldn't have sent those messages. We all know that. I'm not absolving him of responsibility. I'm just saying, is it really the way to run a, f- a football franchise? Worrying about what they're going to say about you on TMZ? Or worrying about what a self-righteous, self-moralizing Boston Globe is going to say about you in their editorial board? I mean, come on. Let's take. We know what Antonio Brown is and what he isn't. He's a football player. Just like any other professional. Just like any other professional. You watched his team last night on the field, and they're still looking for a veteran receiver. Well, they had one. He's gone. So it's going to be a long road for this team back to, I mean, they're a great team. They're 6-0. and It's hard to complain about, about what they are. But if the offense doesn't get better, they're going to lose games. They're still, after it all, still a Super Bowl contender, no matter what. I think, I think that is a, a given. There's, you know, this team's going to be 13-3. and If they go through that five-game stretch and they go two and three, and then they drop another game that you don't expect them to drop along the way, and they're 12 and four, they're still getting a bye week. They're still the best team in the AFC, and they're still the favorite to win the Super Bowl, as far as we know right now. But a couple a couple quick hits about that defense, and man, that Patriots defense is the real deal for sure. Daniel Jones is a smart quarterback. That's what we hear about him. We went to Duke. Bright guy, understands the game. Looks like a smart guy. He made a very stupid decision multiple times last night, which is he continued to throw at Stephen Gilmore. Stephen Gilmore defended five passes. He got his hand on five passes last night. Every time Jones threw the ball to that side of the field, it just seemed like Gilmore was right there. And he's probably lucky he only got one interception. But he had one interception. Five passes defended. Bad decision making. If you if you Jones is a rookie quarterback, it's a rookie mistake, but you can't throw the ball to Gilmore's half of the field like that. He's lucky he only had one pick. Gilmore only had one pick. You know, everyone was so upset about Trey Flowers leaving, and I, I like Trey Flowers. I think he's a, a decent player, but I never would have paid him the kind of money Detroit paid him. And from my watching of the game the last couple of years, and I'm not just saying this because Flowers left, I, I always thought Dietrich Wise was almost as good a player as Trey Flowers. And I just think Wise is a really underrated defensive end. I, he can do a lot. He, he, he really seems to do well with the pass rush and getting some pressure back there. So I really don't feel like between Simon and Wise, the Patriots have lost all that much with Trey Flowers going to Detroit. I mean, that was definitely a great decision to let him walk for that kind of money. Kyle Van Noy, 
man, he is fast. I mean, when does he get that fast? You know, Kyle Vannoy, you can add him to the list. Bill Belichick, guys that Bill Belichick brought in that were kind of like mediocre or sub-mediocre players in other programs that somehow Belichick was able to bring to New England and put them in the right position to become excellent players like Vrabel, like Rob Ninkovich, right? list goes on and on. We can name more and more more players if we wanted to. But he's the next person in that legacy of guys that just flower under Bill Belichick's coaching. And right now, Vinoy is just all over the field. I mean, that guy is disruptive. He's fast. He's in the backfield. Patriots linebackers are just deep and fast and aggressive. And really what's driving that defense right now. How about, is it any surprise? Some, some guys just have a knack for finding the ball. Of course it's Chase Vinovich that's there to catch that touchdown, right? Vinovich just seems like he's one of those guys, like a Teddy Bruschi type, and I'm not going to even dare compare him to a Patriots Hall of Famer. But some guys just have a knack for being there to scoop up the fumble, to pick up the blocked punt, to deflect that pass, to make that big play. Vinovich just seems like he's one of those guys. He's already got a couple sacks, and it just seems like he's always in the right place. And I think it's because he's a high-motor guy. He never stops. And, and those guys that play whistle-to-whistle whistle and play 110%, whistle-to-whistle, whistle, those guys always seem to find themselves in the right position. Vinovich seems like he's one of those guys. And then the kicker. This kicker, man, I've never seen a ball just pop off a kicker's leg. I'm not talking about Nugent. I'm talking about the punter, Bailey. And the way he kicks the ball off, I mean, damn, the ball flies off his, of his foot. He is – I can see why they got rid of Ryan Allen after six games, right? I mean, Ryan Allen was a great punter for this team. He was one of the best punters they ever had. And they got rid of him for this kid. And that was a big gamble because you never know how these guys are going to do when the lights of real live NFL action come on. You never quite know. And it was a little gamble. The guy could kick the ball great on the practice field. But what's he going to do in an actual game when there's 70,000 people there, when when there's, when there's 2 million people watching? You know, how's he going to react to that kind of pressure? Well, we're seeing Bailey is a pretty damn good punter, and he's a heck of a kickoff guy. I mean, the ball just flies off his foot. So their kicking game from punting and kickoff perspective is pretty good. Now, they got a problem with a field goal kicker because he's already missed two kicks, an extra point and a field goal. And uh, in case you haven't noticed, weather isn't always great in Foxborough. Uh, last night was nothing. I mean, people were talking about the win. I mean, that's nothing. I wasn't at the game last night. We didn't go. But um, we've seen much, much worse weather in Foxborough. Much windier, much colder, much drearier. That was nothing. So uh, if that's a problem for our kicker, our field goal kicker, then then we're going to be in trouble coming down the stretch. So that's something we're going to have to watch. That's another little crack in the armor. But overall, Patriots stand at 6-0. and They get a little bit of a break here. I think that's huge for Julian Edelman. I mean, there's obviously a lot of guys, I'm sure, that are dinged up. But 
this team desperately needs Julian Edelman to come back and, and be the Julian Edelman we know we can be. And I still feel like he's playing a little bit sore. But let me be honest with you, because when I'm talking about all these flaws on the Patriots team, and, and there are a couple minor things that, that are wrong with this team, this team is still the best team in the NFL. And when I talk about these problems, in the back of my head, you know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking, how is this team going to go undefeated with this team? I'm not thinking, are they going to make the playoffs? I'm not thinking, are they going to get a bye week? I'm not thinking, you know, are they a contender? I mean, there's no doubt the answer to all three of those questions is yes, of course. I'm thinking, can this team go 16-0 and like this? And the answer to that question, I think, is no. But that just shows you how spoiled we are as Patriots fans. You know, like all Patriots fans, I still got a hair across my ass from Super Bowl 42 and what happened with the Giants in that game. And as much as I know that's never going to happen again, 18-0 is a pipe dream. When you're 6-0, and 5-0, and and you got a pretty easy path to 8-0, and you got three easy games at the end of the year, and you're talking about a 5-0, and a five-game window in the middle of the season, that if you can get through those five games, and they're tough games, if you can get through them, you're going to go undefeated. And right now, if they had kept Antonio Brown, I think this team would still have a real shot of going 16-0 and again. But right now, I don't think they have any shot with this team. But let's just take a moment to, to acknowledge how spoiled we are as football fans because the Patriots' issues are relatively modest. And some of the other teams in the NFL have much worse problems. Some of the other contending teams in the NFL have much worse problems. Most of them have a major flaw. Kansas City's defense stinks. Houston can't protect the passer. The Dallas Cowboys still can't throw the ball great. Green Bay lacks offensive skill position players, especially with Devontae Adams hurt. The Philadelphia Eagles can't stop the passing game. Every single one of these teams has a flaws. Still taking the Patriots my number one in the power rankings. But, they're so close to having a realistic shot of avenging 2007 this year. And they won't be able to do it because of these few little hiccups that they're hitting along the way. A couple things around the league going into week five or week six, I should say, of the National Football League schedule. And there's a couple interesting games this weekend for sure. And a couple interesting off-the-field situations. I want to go to Tampa Bay, um, where the Panthers, now 3-2, and two, are playing at Tampa Bay. And, you know, Tampa Bay has shown some signs of life. They're not totally dead in the water, which a lot of us expected them to be. But I think it's fair to say Carolina could very easily be sitting at 4-2 and two this weekend, this Sunday night. And if they are 4-2, and two, what do you do when Cam Newton's healthy enough to come back and play? In case you haven't noticed, there is a legit quarterback controversy brewing in Carolina. The Carolina Panthers were 0-2 with Cam Newton. Since Newton got hurt in the middle of last season, I think their record is abysmal with Newton as the starter. In fact, I think the only quarterback that's won a game for them 
since like the halfway mark of last year or the three-quarter way mark of last year and this year has been Kyle Allen. Kyle Allen's playing good. He's not flashy like Gardner Minshew. Doesn't have a high draft pedigree like Josh Allen or, or Baker Mayfield. Guy's winning games. He's playing solid football. It's going to be very hard for the Carolina Panthers to sit this player down. Cam Newton is one of the most overrated players in NFL history. Never bought into it. Never felt like he was a Super Bowl caliber quarterback. I know he made a Super Bowl a few years ago. He was outclassed in that game. If he played decent in the 2015 Super Bowl, Panthers win that game. Panthers played well that game. Newton couldn't make enough plays to steal that game against a Denver team that was kind of hapless on offense at the time. I mean, you've seen from Newton for years the lack of accuracy, inability to throw the ball downfield, you know, difficulty consistently making plays in the passing game. What happens when he starts to lose his legs? What happens when he goes from 100% to 95% or 90% with his mobility? Is that when, when does the critical mass get hit where Newton no longer is an effective quarterback? You know, guys, some guys' game ages very well. Like Drew Brees, Tom Brady, their game ages well. Why? Because the biggest thing those guys have is mental. That's their biggest edge. It's a mental game for them. Okay? Brees and Brady don't have the strongest arms in the league. I mean, they have strong arms, but we're not talking about, you know, Jeff George, right? A generationally strong arm. They're not particularly mobile. What's their strength? Well, it's above their neck. It's above their neck, guys like that. And Newton, for whatever reason, just doesn't seem to play that way. I mean, his strength is his ability to make plays outside the pocket, right? Russell Wilson's game is going to age well. Even when Russell Wilson loses a little mobility, it's not going to affect his game a ton. Because Russell Wilson is a guy whose greatest strength is above his neck. He's a brilliant guy. Sees the field great. You see throws like Russell Wilson made on Sunday or Monday night, Thursday night last week, that throw into that tight window to lock it in the back of the end zone. As much as that's a physical feat, it's a mental feat. To see the field and deliver that ball, physically you have to put it in a place where only your guy can get it. But mentally, you have to see that come together. Say, if I get that ball right there, this has a chance to be a big play. And it's not going to be a turnover. Russell Wilson's great at that. He's great at that. So Russell Wilson's game is going to age well. Cam Newton, I don't think his game is going to age well. And I think I don't think he's going to be one of these guys with like a 15, 16, 17-year career. And when you look at his recent results, what has happened for him in the last, since really the midway point of last year, when that Carolina team fell off the map, I think it's very fair to question right now if Newton's hit that point. He's just not that good anymore. That very relatively small diminishment in his mobility is probably going to be devastating to his game. And maybe that's what we are. Let's go to Cleveland, where the Cleveland Browns at one and two and three are hosting the four and one Seattle Seahawks this week. And I think it's very possible Monday morning that we'll be looking at a Cleveland Browns team that's two and four. And who do they have? They have a bye week next week. 
And then the week after that, their next game is at New England. So if the Browns don't win this game on Sunday against Seattle, and I don't think they will, the darlings, the hype children, <laughs> the media stars that are the Cleveland Browns and Odell Beckham and Baker Mayfield and all that skill position talent, they'll be two and five. I don't know who makes the NFL schedule. Now, they say the schedule is, is done fair, and, and obviously it's, it's all done according to algorithm. We all know who everyone's playing from year to year for the most part. So there's nothing, there's no shenanigans with making the NFL schedule. We all know that. But <laughs> you look at who made Cleveland's schedule. I mean, they got a tough schedule. It's funny when the schedule comes out in April and you go game by game and you say tough one, tough one, easy one, win-win, loss, win. And we all know how meaningless that is because a lot of times, every time, things change so much throughout the course of the year. Now, who would have thought at San Francisco would be a really tough game? But it was. It was. San Francisco looks like they're one of the best teams in the NFC. And now they're 4-0. So, now they got Seattle, who's 4-1 and right up there with anyone in the NFC. And they got New England as their next two games. Browns are going to be 2-5. And, and you know what's crazy? They're not out of it. Even at 2-5 and five, because of the division they play in. The AFC North is probably the weakest division in the NFL. And who's going to win that division? Cincinnati's not going to win that division. They're 0-5. They're the worst team this side of Miami. Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh a lot. I really do. If they could have won that game this week, I would say that team is right in it with anyone else. And I don't think they're totally out of it yet either, even at 1-4. and four. They're going to have to find a way to win this week with a third-string quarterback. But I don't think they're totally out of it yet. But but it, but that said, they're 1-4. They're down to their third-string quarterback. There's backups in the concussion protocol. The starters out for the year. It's hard to say that Pittsburgh is going to win that division. And it's not just because they're 1-4. It's because of the injuries. But I'll tell you, that Pittsburgh defense shows some pop. And they're, they're getting turnovers. They're playing well. And if that team can steal a couple wins here and there, they're not totally out of it. But right now, one and four, with the kind of injuries they have on offense, it's hard to say that Pittsburgh is in it. So who does that leave? It leaves Baltimore and Cleveland. Baltimore's, what, two and two, three and two right now? I mean, they're nothing special. So Cleveland's really right in it still. So I wouldn't write off Cleveland, even if they end up at two and five. That's not going to exclude them. I mean, this could be one of those fluky years where you see the AFC North division winner ending up at 7-9, and 8-8, eight and 9-7. Eight, and, and and I don't think any team that hovers anywhere near 500 is going to be out of it. Now, Cleveland's got some easier games coming up, you know, and they're going to have two games against Pittsburgh, I think, in three weeks um, in the middle of the season. And that's really going to decide whether whether Cleveland makes a run at this thing or doesn't. They can lose to Seattle. They can lose to New England. They have to beat Pittsburgh to be to be a division to be considered a division there, to have a chance to make the playoffs. And until they lose one of those two Pittsburgh games, I'm really not writing off Cleveland's season yet. Now, if they lose one of those games, then I think that says it all. It's all over for them. It's all over for them. And and the reality is, 
they're, they're the beneficiary of playing in a lousy division because if they played in almost any other division in the NFL, they'd be out of it. If they played in the NFC, they'd be out of it. Okay, but the AFC is so damn weak this year. We talk about this. AFC is so damn weak this year that there are a lot of teams that that are going to be hovering at or below 500 that are still going to have realistic chances to make wild cards that are still going to have chances to win their divisions. It's a top-heavy conference. Kansas City, you got New England, and you got a whole lot of mediocre. NFC is a lot different. The power is shifted. So, I like Seattle this week in Cleveland. I think Seattle is just a better team, better quarterback, and I have a feeling things aren't going to go well for the for the media darling Browns at home again. You know, if you look at the power rankings, every every media outlet releases power rankings now, and if you look at, across the league at most of these power rankings, you're going to see one striking trend, which is the NFC is so dominant this year over the AFC. Now, most team, most rankings, all rankings, should have New England number one because they're Super Bowl champs. They haven't lost yet. They should be number one until someone beats them. And then I think Kansas City is going to be two or three, even with the loss this weekend, in almost every power ranking. But other than that, if you're making a top ten list in the NFL right now, who else do you put in the top ten from the AFC? Maybe Indianapolis, round ten. Buffalo is four and one. I don't think anyone really takes them for real yet. They got to win a big game before anyone is going to take them seriously. NFC stacked. NFC stacked. You're looking at Philadelphia, Dallas, Green Bay, Minnesota's decent. Chicago is respectable. Detroit's gotten off to a great start, coming off a bye week. St. Louis, Seattle, four and one. San Francisco's 4-0. That NFC West looks stacked. New Orleans winning games with a backup quarterback. Carolina, 4-2, winning games with a backup quarterback. So the NFC's probably got seven or eight of the top ten teams in football right now. But who's the best team in the NFC? I'm still taking the Philadelphia Eagles. I believe, and I will predict, that when it's all said and done, the Philadelphia Eagles will be the best team in the NFC. I believe the Eagles will make the Super Bowl this year. They have experience. They have coaching. They have the quarterback. They have a lot of skill position talent, great offensive line, and their defense, while still a work in progress, does have a lot of playmakers in that front seven. They're beat up, and they've been beat up. They're hovering there at 3-2. and two. But when it's all said and done from top to bottom, I like the Philadelphia Eagles to emerge from this NFC field. Well, all right, everybody. That's all the time we have this week, or that's all the time I'm going to take on the Dr. Football Podcast. Anyone that actually listened, I want to say thank you very much. You know, I started recording this podcast yesterday morning on Friday, and I'm finishing it up now on Saturday. And... You know, really just another wretched slate of college football. And I know that the Red River rivalry today was today, and that game was decent. But has anyone noticed there's something fundamentally wrong 
with college football now versus like 10 years ago because there's just not as many competitive games or compelling games. And I'm wondering, and I was the biggest proponent of the playoff system. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I'm kind of wondering now if there's an unintended consequence of this, which has made almost like a, a lot of class stratification, if you will, right? You have a tip-top upper class that's contending for those four spots, and then you have everyone else. And I'm wondering if it's happening now that a lot of these top recruits are going to like the four or five or six schools that have realistic shot to make the playoffs, and the rich are getting richer, and the gap between that group and the next like 30 or 40 programs is wider than it's ever been before. Because that's how it looks. That's how it looks right now. And as great as the 14 playoff is, I really think that it's almost exclusionary to a lot of programs. Because unless you're one of those top teams, you're not getting in. I mean, Central Florida, perfect example. Undefeated over two years, didn't get a shot either time. Lost in a bowl game last year. Deserved a crack. You know, there are other examples. But if you're not Alabama, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, one or two other programs, Notre Dame, Georgia, you're not getting in. So it really has made the whole middle class less compelling, less entertaining. And I think the only solution right now is going to be a, a 12 or 16 game system that really allows those top 40 or 50 programs the chance to play their way into the playoffs and compete for a national title. Until that happens, Saturdays are going to be drab and Sundays are going to be great. You know, for me, I've always preferred Sunday over Saturday. I've always been an NFL fan growing up in New England, but I always love Saturday too. And it's just really not very interesting anymore. I think Alabama right now is up by three touchdown. Clemson's wiping the floor with Florida State, and there's not much else on. And this is supposed to be prime time for college football. So that's my one take on college football. That's all I got for that. And I want to thank anyone who listened. We're going to wrap it up. I will be back on Monday with another episode, Monday or Tuesday. And uh, thank you very much for listening. Take care and have a great Saturday night.